Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. Today's podcast is podcast three, and what I plan to be a 12-part series on how we can respond to the shame that we experience in our lives. Today's big idea will be that shame can happen because of accurate perceptions about oneself that are not sinful. We will discuss how a proper response to these feelings will be to change what we are valuing. Some examples of accurate perceptions could be, I'm not tall. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the most good looking. I'm not a skilled singer or musician. I'm not a good athlete. I don't have the best clothes. I'm not the most popular. I'm a slow learner. I'm not a good public speaker. Many of these things have to do with discontentment. Discontentment in how God made you. I would like to talk about in today's podcast about where discontentment comes from, how we can combat it, and how discontentment is manifest in our lives. Simply put, discontentment is dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. Jerry Bridges, in the book Respectable Sins, has this to say, Discontentment most often arises from ongoing and unchanging circumstances that we can do nothing about. Jerry Bridges goes on in the chapter to write about the attitude of acceptance and how this applies to being content in our lives. He writes, acceptance means that you accept your circumstances from God, trusting that he unerringly knows what is best for you and that in his love, he purposes only that which is best. Having then reached a state of acceptance, you can ask God to let you use your difficult circumstances to glorify him. In this way, you have moved from the attitude of a victim to an attitude of stewardship. You begin to ask God, How can I use my circumstances to serve and glorify you? In an article written in 2016 by the World Economic Forum, they talk about how millennials were unhappy and dissatisfied with their workplaces. Millennials were born in 1981 and 1996. In the year 2020, they would have been ages 24 to 39. This article was entitled, Millennials Are Not Happy at Work. They have three points for why they are dissatisfied. Uh, Point number one, millennials had high expectations of themselves. Some of these expectations were attainable, others were not. Because of these high expectations, it brought upon them extreme anxiety. Number two, they were unprepared for rejection. This could be rejection at a job interview. It could be rejection on the job site from their boss or from fellow employees. And last of all, millennials were dissatisfied at work because of a high comparison of themselves with others. This brought about, again, anxiety and insecurity. A millennial was quoted in the article saying, if we are not doing something exceptional or doing or don't feel important and fulfilled for what we are doing, we have a hard time. The author of the article comments on social media and millennials comparing themselves with others. They write, The accomplishments of peers shown on social media are a constant prompt to examine millennials' own successes or failures. 
The problem is made much worse by the fact that only positive achievements are posted. You only ever see the good stuff. Even though everyone knows that social media is a kind of PR feed of people's lives, when you spend so much time online, these messages can easily become overpowering. Can you relate to millennials and how they feel about their jobs? It may not be the same feelings you feel about your job, but what about when you hang out with your family? What about when you are at church? What, are, what about when you are with your friend group? Do you find yourself comparing yourself to others? Do you find yourself unprepared for rejection? We can get caught up in our physical abilities and our physical traits that we forget about the God who made us. Mary Slusser was a girl from Scotland. She had every inclination to be discontent over the circumstances that she was dealt. She had an alcoholic for a father. She came from a poor family. She had to work at a warehouse at a young age just to keep food on the table and the bills paid. Her father was an angry drunk, and her mother would often send her and her siblings outside the home and tell them not to come back until her father had calmed down. Growing up, Mary was made fun of. All these things were true. Many people looked down upon Mary because of these facts. However, Mary did not let this stop her from making an impact on other people's lives. She did not let her circumstances stop her from telling others about Jesus. She became a Christian at a young and early age. When she went to the factories to work, she saw other boys and girls that were her age or younger. She had compassion on them. During the free time when they were not at these factories, she put together events and activities. She gathered the children around her and told them Bible stories. She told them stories about Jesus. One day, a group of tall, strong, and unruly boys stepped in front of Mary. They said, we do not want you telling these kids about Jesus. Mary stood her ground and told them to get out of her way. The boys began to taunt and to jeer at Mary. Mary stood her ground. One of the boys picked up a lead weight. He put it in a sling and began to swing it round and round. Closer and closer it got to Mary's head. Finally, it grazed her head, drawing blood. Mary stood her ground and would not flinch. Finally, the leader said, All right, guys, she's had enough. Let her through. And Mary went on with the day's activities. An author on Mary Slusser's life comments about this situation. They write, What was it that gave her such an influence over these rude and unruly boys? They did not know. She was not what is called a pretty girl. She was plain and quiet and simple, and she was poorly clad. But what she was somehow different from most teachers. Perhaps it was because she loved them so much. For the love that is real and pure and unselfish is the greatest power in the world. Mary Slusser would eventually become a missionary to Africa and work with cannibalistic tribes. She would go on to save many African babies from idol sacrifice. Mary accomplished great things in her life. 
She impacted many people because she became content over the circumstances that were in her life. She was not discontent, and she trusted that God had a reason and a purpose for everything that took place in her life. I would like to share with you a passage from the Bible that talks about how God takes our weaknesses and uses them in mighty ways for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27-31 says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What does this have to do with accurate perceptions about oneself that are not sinful? Instead of comparing yourself to others, instead of dwelling on your weaknesses, instead of being a victim of what you wish you had, strive to view yourself in the way that God views you. God chose you. This phrase, God chose you, means that he is intentional. His choosing was not careless. His selection was not an accident. God is purposeful in how he performs his mighty acts. Another way of stating this when tempted to dwell on your weaknesses or compare yourself with others is, God chose me. God was intentional when he chose me. God's choosing was not an accident. God is purposeful in how he performs his mighty acts through me. Do you struggle with the way that God physically made you? Do you struggle with the way that you look? Consider with me what the Bible has to say about Jesus' physical features. In Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 3. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus did not look like a king. He had no beauty that people should desire him. However, Jesus did not let his physical features, or the rejection by others keep him from showing love, kindness, and compassion. Despite Jesus' shameful death and humiliation, God glorified himself through this event. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Despising the shame means that Jesus considered God's plan of salvation through his death more important than the shame that he endured. 
because Christians are in Christ, that means they belong to him. They seek their identity from him. They let Christ's view of them be more than people's view of them. They have redemption. That means they have been bought back from the world system with Jesus' blood. They don't belong to the world. God is the master of their lives. Because Christians are in Christ, they have been made holy. They have been set apart from the world system to live for God and act and speak as Jesus. Because Christians are in Christ, they have been declared righteous. God looks at Christians as forgiven by Jesus' sacrificial death. God does not hold their past against them. Satan can't bring a charge against them. Nothing can separate them from God's love. Despite the shame that you feel over the height or the way that you look or your weaknesses, God desires to make himself known through these features. He made you intentionally for a reason and purpose. He desires to use both your strengths and your weaknesses. You must be willing to step out in faith and let God use you. Let God's plan be bigger than how others view you. Let God's plan be bigger than how others view your weaknesses. Are you tired of running into dead ends and getting rid of shame? Are you tired of trying to hide the shame that you feel when you are with people? Listen to Jesus' way out of shame. God uses people who are humble to impact the world for his honor and glory. God uses people in their weaknesses to share the message of salvation. God has created people with their strengths and weaknesses for the specific purpose of showing one's family, co-workers, neighbors, and community his power and might. In John 9, Jesus' disciples point out a blind man and ask, Jesus, was this man born blind because of his sin or the sins of his parents? Jesus said, neither, but that the glory of God might be revealed. Thinking back to our verses from 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches earlier in the context that worldly wisdom is foolish and denies the story of the Messiah. However, God's wisdom begins with Jesus Christ and the story of the cross. God chose the foolish, the weak, the low and despised to shame the wise and strong of the world. It's all right that not many of you are wise and powerful according to the world system. Paul teaches that in our culture, Christians must boldly proclaim that they are secure in Christ. Bible commentator James Dunn states that Paul emphasizes God's choice three times. Each of these three times is mentioned for a specific reason. Number one, God chose the foolish because the wise thought the cross was sheer folly. Number two, God chose the weak because the strong thought they were powerful enough without God. And number three, God chose the low and despised because the mighty did not want to attach themselves to a crucified God. You guys may be familiar with the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. She started her life out as a young athlete, but due to a diving accident, her life was changed forever. Given her set of circumstances, 
She was very prone to a life of discontentment, but something happened that changed her life. Johnny Erickson Tata started her life out as a young athlete. She loved tennis, swimming, and horseback riding. Right before her high school graduation, she was involved in a diving accident. She broke her neck and became paralyzed from her neck on down. She went from being independent to being dependent upon everyone for everything. People had to feed her, bathe her, and clothe her. They had to do all daily life activities with her. Johnny did not want this kind of life. Johnny decided that she would not live this kind of life. She demanded to be left alone, curtains drawn in the room, and turned visitors away. She battled depression and could not understand why God would have taken her physical abilities away. She knew that she would never walk again, play tennis again, swim again, or live life as she used to again. God gave Johnny a loving Christian family. They loved and supported her in this trial. They brought Johnny home. She battled more depression. However, through the love and support of her family and friends, Johnny chose to start coming out to the living room and sit. After some time had passed, she began to ask herself the question, what can I do with the body I have right now? She found that she could paint and sing. She began to illustrate children's books. She used her voice to sing and encourage others. God gave Johnny leadership skills. She took those skills, formed a team, and developed a camp for handicapped children. She used her life lessons on her radio program, Johnny and Friends, to motivate others going through trials. She taught them how she had learned to submit to God's plan for her life. That God is in control. That God loves her. That God has a plan for her life, even in the midst of the trials that come. We may not be the height that we like. We may not have the talents we desire to have. We may not be the most athletic, the strongest, or the prettiest. However, God desires to use you just the way he made you. He desires for you to be content in how he created you. Talk to God and ask him, God, show me how you want to use me. Use me with my strengths, my weaknesses, and imperfections to honor and glorify you. Use me to impact others for eternity. The big idea for this episode has been shame can be experienced through accurate perceptions about myself that are not sinful. Some of these examples that we have gone over have included, I am not tall. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the most good looking. I'm not a good athlete. I don't have the best clothes. I'm not the most popular. There are three challenges that I would like to leave you with today. Number one, let godly character be the priority of your life, not appearances, not human abilities. Biblical counselor Lou Priolo writes, Your goal is to learn and love the supreme value of Christ-like character over whatever external attraction you are craving. Number two, learn to identify perfectionistic thought patterns. Lou Priolo, again, writes in his book, Self-Image, 
perfectionists want to live a life free from the influence of sin, sickness, suffering, and Satan. In short, they want God to give them in this life what he has promised only in the next. A perfectionist's root issue is his pride, which does not fully accept the doctrine of total depravity and apply it to his own self-evaluation. And lastly, get alone with God and talk to him. Admit any discontentment over the way that God made you. Admit any jealousy or envy you have of others for the way God made them or their talents and abilities. Ask God to make you willing to be used by him, whatever your strengths and weaknesses may be in your life. Ask God to develop within you a greater value of his view of you over how people and your culture view you. A mom on her blog, writing about her family's life events, wrote of this experience that she had with her teenager. The article is entitled, The Heart of a Discontent Teen. One day, the mom pulls up to the school to pick up her teenage daughter from school. On the way home, her teenage daughter begins to complain about why she can't go down to the lake, go down to the park, and hang out with her friends. She does not understand why she has to go home and do her household chores. She complains about having to work a part-time job and earn money for herself when her friends do not. And she did not understand why she did not have her own car, like many of her friends did at that point in time, because their families had been well off and had been able to purchase cars as gifts for her friends. The mom goes on to state some principles about discontentment. At the end, she has this to say about discontentment. Discontentment can drive us to do crazy things. We can become bitter, envious, and jealous. We can go about doing things or striving for things to fill up that emptiness. Or we can go to the one and only one that can fill us and create in us a joyful heart no matter our circumstances. Ask yourselves these questions as we conclude today's podcast. Are you performance-driven? Are you a perfectionist? Are you trying to earn favor with God? Do you compare yourself to others? Take some time and think through the answers to these questions and how they relate to you. Take some time to evaluate yourself in light of what you have heard today. <laughs>